It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, November 25th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. What will holiday shopping numbers tell us about the economy? As the Fed's restrictive monetary policy is gauging everything from the labor market to the housing market to war overseas. The Fed has a credibility issue. They got the transitory call so wrong that they could ill afford to make another policy mistake. I'm Jared Halpern. We go behind the scenes of the annual turkey pardoning. They stay in a, in, in, a, in a suite at the Hotel Wellard. Just in, it looks like any other room that you would have there. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The latest consumer price index numbers for October came in at 3.2%, down from 3.7% in September. That's not far off from the Fed's goal of 2% inflation, but it's far enough away that the Federal Reserve indicated in its meeting minutes from three weeks ago that there are no rate cuts in sight. The fact is the committee is not thinking about rate cuts right now at all. We're not talking about rate cuts. We're still very focused on the first question, which is, have we, re- have we achieved a stance of monetary policy that's sufficiently restrictive to bring, in- bring inflation down to 2% over time sustainably? That is the question we're focusing on. Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell explained after the board's last meeting, November 1st, what he and the board see, and it sounds like insufficient cooling. Recent indicators suggest that economic activity has been expanding at a strong pace and well above earlier expectations. In the third quarter, real GDP is estimated to have risen an outsized annual rate of 4.9%, boosted by a surge in consumer spending. It could be worse. There's an indication the Fed is holding off on more rate hikes. It's fair to say that's the question we're asking is, should we hike more? It's not, it's not you know, and that, that, that is the question. And you're right that in September we wrote down one additional rate hike. But, you know, we'll write down another forecast, as you know, in December. So then when might we expect rate cuts? Some reports have traders pricing them in starting in May, but Powell says they're still worried that inflation could persist or even move higher. It has not been a smooth ride down from a high of over 9% inflation in June of last year. In April, for example, inflation inched back up. Another aspect to all of the volatility, though, is fear over world events. Global uh, geopolitical tensions are certainly elevated. And that goes for the war in Ukraine. It goes for the war between Israel and Hamas. Uh, We're monitoring that. Our job is to monitor those things for their economic uh, implications. Powell said there's plenty of risk out there, but the bigger picture still shows a strong labor market and lower inflation. I'll harken back to the COVID days and in the post-COVID days. So where I live and work in New York is a different place than it was prior to that. Jason Katz is a UBS managing director and founder of Katz Wealth Management. On its best day, my office is at 50% capacity. There's graffiti in areas that normally you wouldn't see present or homelessness. And so that has weighed on the psyche of businesses and consumers. And now you have the attack on Ukraine. Now you have the horrific events unfolding with Hamas attacking Israel. And so businesses and consumers alike have this thought in the back of their mind, you know, what if this morphs into the next level? And it's affecting the psyche of where I travel, where I eat, where I go. 
Mm. Fortunately, offsetting that, a lot of what we do as we learn through COVID is happening like our discussion right now remotely, whether it's the business we do or the shopping that we engage in. So at the margin, it definitively has an effect on psyche and in turn earnings for companies and the economy at large. And, you know, after we, we got the minutes this week from the Fed meeting in October 31st, November 1st, and and at that press conference, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell had said on November 1st, I believe, you know, the news cycle really does, you know, what's happening in the world uh, does impact their thought process, right? And, and you would think that's natural, right? War, geopolitical tensions, that all plays into the economy. When you have the, the Fed chairman saying, look, we're, we can't make decisions right now about, you know, the, the future in terms of rate hikes, in terms of where we'll be. We kind of have to see, um, how things play out when you have attacks, when you have, um, volatility and unpredictability. That, that, that certainly factors in. Let's make no mistake about this. If we didn't see that horrific attack, the Fed probably had another rate hike or two on deck. Hmm. And I think that definitively put the Fed on perma pause. Now, there are other factors that weigh in on their decision making, including the long and variable effects of the previous rate hikes and what that may mean to breaking other things along the way, like what happened with the regional bank crisis. But right. without equivocation, what's transpired geopolitically is playing into their calculus and probably it translates into them sitting on their hands for the foreseeable future with respect to any further rate hikes. Let's let's talk a little bit about where we're at, right? We're at the holiday season. And we always talk right now at this time about retail sales, the numbers, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. How closely will people be paying attention to those numbers? How, how good they are or not? And what do they indicate for us about the economy? We talk about them in such detail around this time uh, you know, of the year. Does it say more about where the economy's headed or more about where we've just been? You know, the whole psychology of the consumer is so different today than it was a few short years ago. Hmm. You know, I represent a number of individual investors and I talk to people all the time. And there's this post-COVID mentality of, you know, live life while you can. And you saw the revenge travel, spending and dining. And that's become ingrained in a lot of people's behavior. The tricky part of it, however, is a lot of people have run out of their PPP money and now they've exhausted their credit. And that's why more people are re-entering the labor force because now they have to earn money so that they can continue to enjoy being humans and being consumers. But when you have a backdrop of not sure where the Fed is going, not sure where the stock market may be heading, you have the geopolitics, I'm sure at the margin that will affect how consumers behave this particular holiday season. I don't think it's going to fall off the cliff. I think it's going to be pretty robust numbers, hmm. but not as robust um, had we not gone through these horrific events in the last month or so. And you just talked a little bit about where the Fed might be going. It's this, There's this sense, right, that as we read the, the, the minutes from the meeting, that we're, we're holding, right? We're holding at these higher rates. We don't know until when. But if we drill down into those numbers a little bit, that, that CPI number is at 3.2%, right? That's it's not far off from 2%. Mm-hmm. So why why are we holding? And, and why is there this belief that we really just don't know how long? Is it that volatility or is there something else? 
Yeah, I mean, that last mile of the marathon is the most difficult. Or those last <laughs> five or 10 pounds to lose are the most difficult. So, you know, the, the Fed has a credibility issue, Jessica. They got the transitory call so wrong that they could ill afford to make another policy mistake. They're keenly aware that if they lose credibility as an institution, they're rendered useless when it comes to their dual mandate of maximum employment and price stability. So I think they rather go a little too far than come up too short, even if it's at the expense of a mild recession, because they could always reverse policy. So policy is going yeah. to remain restrictive until the Fed ensures they've stamped out every last ember of inflation. But I want to be clear about something. Remaining restrictive doesn't mean going higher. It means staying put. And not to get too technical, of course, they have quantitative tightening, which basically means they're unwinding this balance sheet. They've accumulated so many bonds during COVID. They're no longer buying more bonds with the interest of those bonds. And so that by definition, sort of keeps a floor on on long-term rates staying elevated. You just said at the risk of a mild recession. I know Powell said point blank, no, no, we're not, we're not, we didn't put in reset. We didn't put in for a recession. We don't think there, you know, in other words, he didn't, they were, he was saying the board didn't think there was going to be one, but what have these rates at over 5% meant for our economy. I mean, we look at mortgage mortgage rates, the housing market slowed tremendously, and that trickles out to other aspects of the economy when people just aren't moving, right? They're staying put. What have you seen in terms of these wider impacts to all of us? Well, the consumer has proven to be remarkably resilient. But as I said before, they're running out of stimulus money, tapping into credit, et cetera. Corporate earnings this past quarter, 75% of the companies that reported beat estimates. So speaking of which, businesses have oh, proven wow. throughout all of this to be remarkably nimble. And that's because for three decades, they've invested in technology, allowing them to do more with, with less. But I, again, there are long and variable effects of these rate hikes. It's no different than administering emergency medicine to a patient that's deathly ill there will be side effects such as what happened with the regional bank crisis. So I do think the economy is setting up for, at worst, a soft-ish landing. And Ooh. that's because, <laughs> number one, the labor market should remain robust. When I talk to business leaders, they are desperately holding on to their, their workers. They don't want to yep. be caught with their pants down like they did during COVID. And we've never seen a severe recession historically when unemployment is sub 4%. And I said before, too, earnings are resilient. And number three, and lastly, the major money center banks have very strong balance sheets. So we don't see the same systemic risks that we saw during, say, the financial crisis. Jason, are the consumers so resilient because we're just putting everything on our credit cards? Uh, <laughs> our collective credit card debt is huge. It's it's never been this high, right? What are, what are we doing? Are, are we putting everything on our cards because of inflation or are we just spending like, like there's not a problem? I think we're spending, to go back to my earlier point, because we want to live life while we can and enjoy it. But at the same time, we, and this is, again, anecdotal, we could be so much more productive today than we were in years past. You know, I'm getting an extra hour sleep relative to that I, that I did prior to COVID, but I'm still mm. working the same time, if not more, because of the flexible work schedule. Technology is allowing me to do so much more with less. 
And I, I think that the consumer is navigating the work from home in such a way that they could maintain um, this lifestyle, probably not at the extent that they did with their revenge spending, but enough to keep us from avoiding a real hard landing. Okay, just a couple more. I have to ask you. The stats from the Bureau of Labor Statistics said the food index increased 0.3% in October after rising 0.2% in September. These sound like numbers that are not very much. So why, why, this is something I hear from everybody. Why does food still seem so much more expensive? Is that because prices sort of never went down? Like they're still going up, but just they're not going up by as much as they were. And so there's been like a new low price benchmark set. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to characterize it. I think there's a few things at play here. Number one, Ukraine, Russia, that whole area accounts for the vast majority of sourcing of grain and corn and and other products that go into food. So we have this mad scramble to onshore and to, you know, reshore our food supplies and our food security. So I, I think that has a lot to do with it. The other thing is that you know, when you're a restaurateur or you're somebody who sells food, you've already established a baseline in terms of what you charge and you're mm-hmm. not going to go lower. Right. Um, and then the last thing is that as as much as inflation has come down um, and as much as wages have come up psychologically for a lot of consumers, they're thinking more about how much more costs for that cup of coffee. Um, but at the same time, they're not saying, hey, it's being offset by my higher income. But I'll give you a good statistic. The price of turkey is 5% lower than it was last year. <laughs> we'll take it. We will absolutely take that. Okay, last one for you. This year began with us talking about our national debt being, I believe it was just over $31 trillion. Now we're closer to 34 We're like a 33.6. And the Treasury Department said we're now spending more in interest on treasury debt securities than on national defense? I mean, what, I don't even know what to ask, but that sounds tremendous. What's the, what's the biggest impact to us? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a a debt bomb brewing and it's not going to go off imminently, but perhaps for our children and definitively our our grandchildren, it's lost on me why when rates were as low as they were that the fed didn't do what the apple corporation did and issue a hundred year bond it's no different than you and i refinancing our mortgages when when rates were groping for a low so there was a golden opportunity to lock in low rates and the fed you know miss miss that point um so I, I do think that we are the best house in the worst neighborhood in terms of u.s debt and we will continue to be the safe haven trade so i do think that we can continue to sustain and drive our economy and and fund a lot of what we need to fund but at some point the rubber has to meet the road and that's probably not next year or the following year but in the, within the next decade there's going to be a reckoning and whether it's mm. The Democrats or the Republicans, somebody's going to have to seriously tighten their belts, which includes, you know, keeping entitlements or taking entitlements off the table like Social Security. Oh, we'll have to have you back on to talk about to talk about entitlements. UBS Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager Jason Katz, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
Two lucky birds were spared a Thanksgiving table or my smoker this week. I hereby pardon Liberty and Bell. President Biden carried on a decades-old tradition, the presidential pardon of a national turkey. But what's the secret recipe for these fowl to become so fortunate? They were born at the right place at the right time, or hatched at the right place <laughs> at the right time. Joel Brandenberger is the president and CEO of the National Turkey Federation, a trade organization that has long presented the presidential flock for the White House tradition. They were uh, raised by our under the supervision of our chairman, Steve Licken, and every year our chairman is has the honor of, of, of presenting the turkeys to the White House. It rotates on an annual basis. So this year, Steve, who is also the president of Genio Turkey Store in, in Wilmer, Minnesota, birds were raised under his supervision. It was a flock. Oh, it varies from year to year, but most years the flocks are 25, 30, maybe, maybe a few more birds are raised. In, a, in an environment that's typical of all production, but maybe in a bit smaller group, they get the same food and water, they get the same you know medications when necessary. Is 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 the turkey that will wind up on your smoker? But the but the one big difference in how they're raised, besides the outcome, is these turkeys are socialized in preparation for being in the rose garden. It's it's not an environment that a commercial turkey would be used to. So there's more people are in the barn a little more frequently with them. Some years our chairman has people that will hand feed them a little bit to give them even more human interaction. Most play different kinds of things in the background, music, crowd noises, et cetera. Gets them socialized for for, for yep. their big day. And so, those that those that perform best, strut the best and everything, they uh they they get a different outcome than than their <laughs> brethren. So there is a training and an audition process for this. Yes, to an extent there is. Uh, there's definitely a training process and um, the auditions may be a little little less formal. There's not a talent competition or anything, <laughs> but 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 they but, you know, those that strut, those that show best, they, uh, they they tend to rise to the head of the class. But let's talk a little bit about this tradition. I think it's a cool tradition. This was the 76th year that um, you guys 70, did 76th anniversary of the first national thanksgiving turkey presentation as we know it today though the ceremony this... as we know it today started in 1947 with president truman now as one of your colleagues is you know is, is some of your colleagues have told me both within fox and in other media outlets of course there's a richer history some white house some various white house staffs have done a have, have done uh some investigating into it the earliest seems to be a turkey that uh tad lincoln convinced his father, President Lincoln, to spare at Thanksgiving. Well, actually for Christmas that year. President Lincoln, of okay. course, started Thanksgiving, so so it would have been Christmas that year. And there was that. There are apparently recorded incidences uh, for certain of, of President Kennedy and I think President Reagan as well making uh, references to pardoning the, the, the turkey at this, at this time of year. Uh, never mind that the last turkey that president kennedy received had a had a sign around its neck that said good eating mr president but <laughs> doesn't sound like that bird made the cut <laughs> no, no no i think he may have but, 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 but the first president to actually pardon it as sort of a planned integrated event uh, in the ceremony was president george hw bush mm -hmm. in 1989 and so now it's this this tradition how did your organization kind of get involved with uh with, with this event 
Well, our our organization was fairly young in 1947. It was uh, it was sort of founded in 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 1939, officially uh, incorporated as a as a trade association in 1940. But they just approached the White House, as I understand it. I certainly wasn't around then. Some of my staff think I may have been around then, but I really wasn't. <laughs> and and thought about something to symbolize the Thanksgiving holiday. You have to think back at that moment in time. We were only two years removed from the end of World War II. The country, the the sort of the economic shocks of all the wage and price controls being lifted were, were, were beginning to subside. There, there was a greater sense of normalcy. It, it seemed uh, it, it seemed a very appropriate time to to sort of further further highlight a season in which we're supposed to be thankful for the blessings we have in this country. So that that's apparently how it started. It continued ever since. Now, there have been a couple of years. I've gone through the photographic archives. Uh, I think there was one year when Vice President Nixon received the turkey for President Eisenhower. And I think it may have been around the time that President Eisenhower was having some of his some of his heart troubles. Uh, I've got one picture of Mrs. Nixon receiving the turkey for President Nixon and one of, of Mrs. Ford uh, receiving it for President Ford. We have that in our archives. And, and there's a lot of evidence in, in talking to some of my predecessors who were around at the time that that, that there was a, a more subdued uh, event that may not have involved the president during the height of the Iran hostage crisis. Mm-hmm. But, that would make but, sense. But what we know is that, you know, beginning in 1981 with President Reagan forward, the president has attended every year. There was a, and I can only think of one instance where, where that even came in, into question. Uh, whether the president was going to be able to be there. Let's talk a little bit about the the birds here, because I've heard a lot of rumors about what happens to these birds. I want to separate fact from fiction. Is it true that the two birds uh, have a pretty luxurious night the evening before? Yes, usually one or two nights before, depending on when they arrive in town. They stay at the Hotel Willard. They stay in a in, in a in a suite at the Hotel Willard. Uh, <laughs> just it, it looks like any other room that you would have there. There are only two differences uh, in 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 how in, in how they stay there. Uh, one, they don't sleep. They don't actually sleep on the beds at night, even though there you can find many pictures of them <laughs> up on the bed at night when they're when they're left alone for the evening. Uh, there's an entryway into the room and you can cordon that off and we put shavings down and we make it like the like the bedding they're used to in there. And so so there, there there's uh, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of restriction. There's a little bit of restriction there. And that's the first thing. Uh, the 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 second thing is they don't get to they don't get to go to the honor bar. Uh, we, we we restrict their diet and their water. They they don't get they don't get to do that. But otherwise, it's right. it's it's a pretty good couple of nights. And the hotel Willard has always been really gracious. We've worked with them for uh, for more than a decade now, right. and and they 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 really have a lot of fun with the event too. Their their management, uh, everybody on their team is great to work with. It's fun pictures to, to see, and it looks like a, a pretty nice uh, room <laughs> that the birds get. Let me ask what happens. You know, they're pardoned. Um, do they they go to like a, a habitat, a, a petting zoo? Where, where do they where do they end up traditionally? Well, over the last 30 plus years, and that's the only that's the only time period in which I can speak to with firsthand knowledge that they, they've had uh, they've, they've had different different places they've gone. This this year's birds are going back to the University of Minnesota uh, to their college of food, agriculture. Um, and, and they're, and they're going to, uh, 
to live on the on the on the farm. Minnesota is a land grant university. Mm. Um, in fact, their interim president, Jeff Ettinger, used to work in the turkey industry um, and in the meat and poultry industry. And they're going to go back and stay there. Uh, and last year's our chairman was from North Carolina. They went to North Carolina State. Uh, the year before the year before that, our chairman was from Indiana. They went to Purdue University. Before that, Iowa State. You sort of see a trend uh, <laughs> evolving here. And it's a neat opportunity to take them back to their home state and let people in their home state see them. And, and the land-grant schools in those states have always been uh, – very welcoming. Now, that's that's not always been the tradition. When I first arrived at, at the National Turkey Federation in 1991, they went to a great park out in Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, called Frying Pan Park. Uh, there, there was a replica 1930s working farm mm. that they had there, and the turkeys stayed there uh, through 19, uh, through, excuse me, through 2004. And, and we loved working with Fairfax County Park System. It was it, it was great, but. Some of what they needed to do to maintain the birds was beginning to outstrip their their mission. And uh, surprisingly, riding in like a white knight at that moment where we were trying to figure out their home was Disney. It was the 50th anniversary of Disneyland in 2005. And Disney wanted the the, the turkey um, and, and they took the altar as well. But they wanted the, the actual National Thanksgiving turkey to be the grand marshal of their uh, of their parade that they do each day at Disneyland. And and Disney uh, enjoyed it so much that they did it for four more years afterwards. In the five years, they went to Disneyland in California four times, and Disney World in Florida once. And it was it was a great tradition. But but you know, Dis- Disney ultimately was 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 ready to do something something different with their Thanksgiving Day parades. And so, for two or three years, the turkeys then went to Mount Vernon. Oh, and, and and that was really nice, and and the, the the folks at Mount Vernon were great, and it was it was a wonderful setting to receive them, but but ultimately they uh, it, it you know it a little bit outstripped what what yeah. Mount Vernon was was created to do. So for probably seven years or so, uh, maybe a little bit off on the timing, they went to another great place, Morvin Park, out in Virginia. It's it's the ancestral farm. Of a, a, a of a Virginia governor who happened to raise turkeys, so so that that was a neat location for them, and and they enjoyed it out there. But we kept looking for someone for a place that really was built for 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 taking care of these turkeys after their pardoning, and for a number of years then after that until really through about 2019, they went to Virginia Tech University down in Blacksburg. We've got another great land grant university, great ag school. And they went there, and and it was a wonderful experience uh, for Virginia Tech and for us. But but again, uh, you know, Virginia Tech uh, had, had you know ultimately said that maybe every year wasn't you know wasn't wasn't ideal, and that's and that's when we hit upon the idea that we've been doing since since 2020, which is taking the turkeys to the land grant university in the chairman state, and it's been a wonderful partnership, Iowa State. Purdue, North Carolina State, and now the University of Minnesota, they, they've all been great partners with this. Let me switch a little bit to policy because President Biden and, and certainly most presidents talk about agriculture, talk about family farming when they deliver these remarks. Uh, what is the the state of the industry right now? I mean, obviously coming out of the pandemic and we've seen inflation, it seems like the price of turkey is something that is kind of politicized sometimes. Um, what is the state of, of well, the industry? It, it, and I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to come back to uh, to, to uh, have a little fun with, with, with one of your one of y'all shows here in a second. But uh, first of all, 
Thanksgiving turkey prices have absolutely no connection whatsoever to what Adam Smith envisioned with how the market works. Uh, grocery stores, supermarket chains, et cetera, a lot of them love to offer turkeys, especially frozen whole turkeys, at deep discounts. They, uh, they, are, the, they are the very definition of loss leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the grocery stores want to bring customers in to do all of their holiday shopping there. Uh, most of them will offer a discount on frozen whole turkeys, especially their their store brands, their private labels. Uh, we saw one grocery store in the D.C. area is offering them for twenty nine cents a pound. Uh, I've seen I've seen some in other parts of the East Coast offer them for forty nine or sixty nine cents a pound. I was in a store last night that had them at sixty nine cents a pound. Uh, so you know there, 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 there's a little bit of a little bit of a disc there. I saw one chain. Uh, that operates nationally, but it was a flyer. It was a circular in the D.C. area. They were offering a free turkey if you bought four hundred dollars worth of groceries. <laughs> there you go. There, there. So, so frozen turkeys bear no relationship. They are the supermarket's lost leader. Fresh turkeys will more, more, more reasonably resemble what the whole what what, what the wholesale market is doing. Last year, uh, we had an unfortunate um, situation where we there was an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza in the U.S. It's, it's actually still out there, but it's not as severe this year. And last year, we lost almost 10 million turkeys to the disease. That drove all turkey prices up for a while. Um, the prices for for a lot of cuts, breast meat and stuff began to come down early in the year, but it wasn't until May that the prices of whole turkey began to drop. And, and now they're they're, they're near sort of their lowest levels in, in the last three or four years. But but that obviously had an impact. So so you know, probably for those buying fresh turkeys this year, they, they might have noticed a difference from last year. For those who are buying frozen turkeys, they noticed no difference from the last 20 years, the, the steep discounts to, to, to lure people in. But here's here's one other area on uh, on one of your shows. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before uh, one, one of Fox's TV shows, the former uh, U.S. representative Jason Chaffetz talked about a ninety dollar turkey. Now, look, we're not going to get involved in any of the macroeconomic debates or anything, but he did. He did ultimately on on, I guess, X. I'm still hard time not calling it Twitter, Twitter. but 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 posted the turkey he bought. Uh, and it was it's actually more than one hundred dollars. But it was from a specialty brand out in uh, that, that, that's out in California. They're, they're not members of ours, but I know some members of the family that produce this brand. Great product, great people. Uh, but it, it's a very exclusive brand, and it was bought. Uh, you can tell from the label at, 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 at a specialty meat and poultry mm-hmm. store uh, in, in in a town in Utah near where Mr. Chaffetz lives. But if you go on a few more miles down the road at Smith's. Which is the 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 largest supermarket chain supermarket chain in Utah? It's a part of Kroger's. He could have gotten a frozen one for seventy nine cents and a whole and a whole and a fresh bird for for less than half of what he paid. So it, 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 there is a huge variety out there. So it depends on what the customer market. wants. It, you know, it depends on 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 where they can go. It's just, but it was actually at the end of the day, it was a great illumination of the variety of options that are out there for for for, for consumers. Let me finish with this. Did I read that this was your last turkey pardon? It is. It is. I started at NTF in, in 1991. Uh, I became the, the president and CEO in, in December of 2006. Of the 33 pardons that, that have occurred since I started there, I've been at 30 of them. And uh, it, it, it's 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 amazing. Now, I'll give a treat for you all. If any, if anyone goes to YouTube and searches Handler Cries Foul, F-O-W-L, 
you will see what happened to me at the very first pardon I attended. And it will it is a wonder I was around for the second for the next one, much less 30 more. And I'll I'll leave that's that's for people to look at. We'll, we'll tease that. that that'll be the Easter egg. Right. <laughs> Joel, listen, appreciate the time. I, I think you've got a, a really cool gig. I enjoy covering the uh the pardons and it's a wonderful history and a really fun event. And I wish you the best now as you uh as you retire and and hopefully gets a chance to stretch your legs, much like uh, the turkeys that have been pardoned before you. Uh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been it's been a wonderful place to work. Great members. Great time. It, things like this are, are a big part of the fun, what we're doing right now. Uh, I'll miss it, but 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 I am ready to, to, to see what's next. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Is the Republican primary out of reach for anyone but former President Trump? Can President Biden overcome concerns about his age? We'll spend some time with strategist Carly Cooperman and Carl Rove less than two months before the Iowa caucuses. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.